Welcome to The Get, Get Together. Together. It's a show about the nuts and bolts of community building. I'm your host, Bailey Richardson, a community researcher at People & Company. I'm Kevin Hoyt. I also research and strategize with communities at People & Company as well. And on this episode, we also got joined by our third partner, Kai. You'll hear his voice. Kai Elmersoto. Kai Elmersoto. Each episode, we interview people who have built communities about just how they did it. How did they get the first people to show up? How did they grow to thousands more members? Today, we're talking to Noble Ad- Nobu Adelman. Sorry, I got too far ahead with your name, Nobu. <laughs> uh, with a, his no- par- a noble Nobu. Noble Nobu. <laughs> With his partner, David Goldman, he is the secret sauce behind Toronto's Choir, Choir, Choir. If you haven't heard about Choir, 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 it's a very simple event as a format. You just show up to a venue, pay $5 for a lyric sheet, rehearse a harmony, and then you get to perform it together with hundreds, sometimes thousands of other people. So we'll ask Nobu about how Choir, Choir, Choir went from something he and just like about 20 friends did in a real estate office in Toronto to really a phenomenon is what it has become. Just after Prince passed away a few years ago, Nobu and David invited around 2,000 people to come out and sing When Doves Cry together in Toronto's iconic Massey Hall. And just a few months after that, Rufus Wainwright shared the stage with David and Nobu and led this huge choir of people in a rendition of his beautiful song, Hallelujah. Over seven and a half million people have watched that performance since on YouTube. And that's how I first heard about them. So Kai, calling in from Singapore, tell us what you thought about our call with Nobu. What stood out to you about choir, choir, choir? What are you thinking about now that we just spoke with him? It's just this consistency and persistence. He's been doing it every Tuesday for a very long time, and he still takes a tremendous joy out of it. He just keeps showing up and keeps showing up for others, and others keep showing up for him, and it's this beautiful little cycle of energy. And there are a lot of sexiness to Quar 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 now, you know, with the people that have joined them. Uh, but what up on stage, probably, like the David Byrne up on, and all that, yeah, right, you know, and we we all heard the Hallelujah one and Patty Smith, and what we don't see is you know him showing up. You know, I could just see he spoke about how in Canada, you know, during the winters, which I know very well, you know, you kind of really just hibernate, you cocoon, you don't see your friends, and I could just picture Nobu, you know, kind of putting his like puffer coat or parka on and scarves and walking down Queen West, which I know really well, you know, I'm from the West End and having to walk into this place. And then like, you know, I'm sure the room is cold because it's still empty and eventually you know, just setting it up while no one is there. Uh, before the energy arrives, he had to transport the energy from last week. That showing up consistently, showing up for each other, people showing up for him really came alive from the conversation. Yeah. Kev, what about you? What, what do you remember most or what stuck out to you? I'm just thinking about the power of singing. Uh, Maybe not all activities are created equal when it comes to how powerful they are in a group. Uh, But, you know, I think about how singing can really be something that is uh, better together and has these parts about it. And he mentioned, like, you need to be able to hear the person on your left and your right and sort of work with them and you are breathing and making a common sound. Like there's, I'm just thinking about singing in a different way right now. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, join one myself. Yeah, me too. Brad, well, with that, let's get into the interview. Here, here's Nobu on how Choir, Choir, Choir started and how they've, they've committed to it year in and year out since those early days. 
All right, Nobu. So I like to read this quote to kickstart our questions. Okay. It's a James Baldwin quote. James Baldwin? Yeah. He's the best. I know. He's my fave. He's the best. He has this one quote that says, fires can't be made with dead embers, nor can enthusiasm be stirred by spiritless men. Across the board, we see people who have started communities really give a shit about the thing that they're offering other people. And I want to ask you, you're an entertainer. So many entertainers perform at people. Very few engage others in the process. Why are you so stoked? Why are you so excited by the idea of singing with others? Where does that come from? I would say that it's not just about singing with others. It's just about being around other people. I think that my... I mean, there's got to be a better word for it or words for it, but my guiding principle in my life has been about making work with people and collaboration. And I think that growing up, appreciating the arts, being exposed to it on a wide level, my father was an entertainment journalist in Toronto, but also for variety. So he was super tapped in and arts was made a priority. So I didn't have any of this like identity or a crisis or conflict with my parents about choosing to be in the arts because... It would be a complete contradiction if they were to say, no, you can't have a life in the arts after basically telling me and informing me and showing me that it's the most important thing on the planet. So that's how I grew up watching musicals, watching plays, going to film premieres. And like I was a plus one, you know, my brother and I and my mother we were plus ones to this guy who had a golden ticket to everything, mm. music festivals, everything. So I grew up around artists and, and appreciating them and putting them on on some level, a pedestal and like feeling that what they were doing was important, as important as government or, you know, whatever else people do to make the world turn and operate and function well. And thinkers as well, like the idea that if you are a thinker, then you're doing something good, even if it's urban affairs, like whatever the hell it is, it's like it contributes to better society. So that was like my starting point when I look back on it. And then um, if I just sort of cherry pick moments in my life, Halifax, Nova Scotia in the 90s was where I went to university and I stayed there afterwards and ended up working in television. But specifically Halifax versus Toronto. Toronto is a city that provides everything for you as entertainment. You don't necessarily have to do anything to be able to enjoy culture. In Halifax, it is a thriving creative community, like so many smaller places, you know, it's not tiny, but it's like 330,000 people. It's harder to exist as an artist on a business level and it's harder to run venues. It's harder, it's everything's harder. We were in our early twenties, my friends and I, and if we wanted to have a venue, we had to create it. And then once we created a venue, like turning a jam space into a venue where we would throw parties, then we had to start a band to entertain, to play in the venue. And then we would roll a keg across the street from the brewery across the street that was just starting up. And it wasn't just that place where our jam space became like a, a hub, a social hub. Well, it was where all of our friends showed up, which were filmmakers and artists and other musicians and people just coming up. When you have to build the infrastructure, you have to rely on so many other people's energies and creativity and vision. Thankfully, we were all so aligned in just creating things and literally people making their first feature films. And I learned how to do continuity just because somebody needed a continuity person, right? So it's not just related to singing. It's just really about community building and it's about um, lifting each other up. What's so great is that you don't even realize that you're doing it. You just have more time when you're younger. It started because 
uh, we were going to have an Easter dinner. Not that any of us were particularly religious, but you kind of fall on these markers, these dates in the calendar. And it's an opportunity to get friends together and have dinner. But instead of just having dinner, <clears throat> we decided to make a, a video called Easter Easter, which was all about, like, just to try to explore. I'm sensing a theme. Well, it's a, <laughs> a repetition. Um, yeah. like Jacob Tutu. Um, <laughs> it was like an in-camera edited film that we were improvising, making up along the way. We knew at the end would be the Easter dinner, but then, like, we just involved all of our friends. And then it became a series. We made Canada, Canada. We made, like, just to celebrate Canada Day. Like, whenever, like, we turned every possible social interaction into an event. I was in a food show called Food Jammers that was on um, the Food Network and sold around the world. And, and it was directly out of that. My friends that I made in, in Halifax during that time, it's like creative partying. And I think that that's at the core of everything I do. And it just, it, all it does is it just brings people together to hang out, um, tackle something that nobody really has the answer to, to create something much larger than anybody, any one person could create. And that was Food Jammers. That was the early years of, of community music art building in Halifax. And that is the through line of my life, being a professional amateur, leading to choir, 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 which is... Yeah, take me know. to that first, also that first choir, choir, choir. I read that it was at a wedding, the very first one, like the original origins. Is that no. true? And if so, can you tell me where the first lies, one Lies, all lies. Um, <laughs> the internet fake news about you, Nobu, exactly. watch out. <laughs> it was, I'd moved back to Hal from Halifax to Toronto, my hometown. I felt lonely without my community. I got into my head that I, I recorded a solo album, Mr. Nobu and his choir of a thousand voices. So I had this image in my mind of a choir. That's when it first, for me anyway, that's when it first sort of started this idea of starting a choir. My friend Amanda and I were going back and forth about starting a choir. And then... Um, what, what about the choir did you like so much, the idea? Um, it was essentially not to feel so alone as a solo musician, you know, to have people around me. And I, at one point I had six singers that represented a thousand people. Word got around to friends that Amanda and I were like talking about a choir. And then our friend Sarah was throwing a surprise birthday party for her boyfriend, Matt, at the time. And then so she asked Amanda if we could put together a choir. Amanda asked David to play guitar because he was the manager at a brunch spot down the street. We all knew him. We didn't know him that well. We never hung out outside of uh, the restaurant. He showed up at my house and there was like 13 people in my kitchen. We rehearsed a song by the band Pilot, Magic. Oh, 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 it's magic. It's not, oh, yeah. Uh, it's a really sweet tune. Um, you know, oh, I believe it's not so. Here we are. <laughs> right. um, and so, and our friends, you know, like part of this group of creative people. And we went to the birthday party and there was all these bands playing and we got up and we did our thing like three times as fast as we had recorded it. And then that was it. And that was done. And it was over. A lot of musicians in the room, a lot of friends. And everyone was like, that was so much fun. And then, of course, we just didn't do anything afterwards. It was mm -hmm. just like life is busy and whatever. But then whenever I would go into David's, where he was managing the brunch spot, he would be like, when are we doing that choir thing again? Because David was more of like a solo singer-songwriter kind of person who would write his sad love songs in isolation, not really perform them. He had a lot of friends who were musicians, but he wasn't really part of a, a sprawling musical community in the way that or artistic community in that way, in the way that I was. Where you wanted to get that Halifax vibe going. Well, he was definitely friends with lots of them, you know, yeah. um, uh, and, and severely talented, but just not as uh, involved in that way. 
a couple years later, that's when it just kind of hit. It was the right time. He asked me again when we were doing the thing and I had just joined Facebook. And so I put out an invite saying, anybody who would want to sing in a choir, would you come out? That was like in a November of 2010. And then February. More fake news. Was it in a real estate office that you guys? That's true. So the, yes. so in February of 2011, we had our first one. It was at the Bosley real estate office on Queen West. Our friend Alice Kent was working there. So she got the space. Sexiest ven- venue in Toronto. Oh yeah. Very sleek. <laughs> yeah. uh, World class. Love event. it. Um, and it was like, you know, an unremarkable evening in, in many respects. It was like huge snowstorm coming in. We thought, well, you know, if some friends show up, we just have a couple beers. It'll be fine. It'll be fun. We prepared like some minor arrangements to Beatles Nowhere Man. shout out to our first song uh, pilot with their song just a smile just a smile just a lonely smile and it was kind of extraordinary what happened that night which was people we didn't even know showed up they heard about it iweekly which was like kind of like a village voice type of thing in toronto at the time uh, they found out about it and i got a phone call from them saying we want to take a photo of what what you guys are doing and i told that to david as we were walking to the venue and he's like we don't even know what we're doing. What are they coming for? You know, but it was indicative of what was to follow because at the end of the night, people were so happy. They were so into what we did, which was very little, but they loved it and they wanted us to do it again the next day. And from that, why do you think that was what about the experience made strangers know they wanted to be there? You know, I know it might be a very simple question, but but why did they love it so much? Um, well, that night it was mostly friends. There were probably like four people we didn't know who were there. I think it gets into really kind of like wholesome platitudes about community and about like coming together. I think that, I think it just sounded like a fun thing to do, honestly. Like I, I don't think that there was any kind of like in like intense, like emotional angle to it. I think it was just like, oh, people are getting together to sing. Maybe it reminded them of, of some aspect of their lives that was missing or something like that. I can speak more to the sense of community that formed afterwards in terms of like for that first night. I don't know. It just, it was a new kind of thing that was happening. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I also just have this hunch that you're so used to singing, singing with a room full of people is probably one of the most powerful human experiences, just period, right? And it's something that the internet can't recreate. It has to happen in the right way with another group of people in the room with you. And it moves you emotionally. Like you have to be like literally emotionally dead to not feel anything. Is it just that obvious too, that you kind of know that, that if people are singing and voices are together, that's just gonna be meaningful? just singing. It's not rocket science. What's happening is lots of air is moving through you. And I think that what we do in our daily lives is we trap the air and we don't let it flow. That's why meditation is becoming such a big deal these days because people are acknowledging that they need to sit and breathe and like find some stillness and some quiet. And, and you can find that quiet, that same sense of euphoria or a stillness within a room full of a large room full of people because you're focusing on your breath. Singing is really just breath control. And it's about finding that right flow and that you'll sound richer when you give yourself more into it and you more inside yourself 
And it's like when you're more inside yourself, you can share more of yourself outwardly and all those things. And early on, I would say that like singing was like exercise for people who don't like to exercise. Like you just, you have to get, gain control of your voice. Otherwise you're going to hyperventilate. And, and it makes you just feel good to breathe. <laughs> yeah. Not so ironically. And then all the things that happen. Um, I was speaking with somebody yesterday. They played me a clip from um, a Swedish uh, scientist slash conductor doing some kind of like research with singing. And so when people breathe in, the heartbeats increase. And when they exhale, it kind of like sets itself rhythmically to everyone, synchronizes to everyone else around them. Mm. Um, your heart senses, it, it gets a lift when you start singing. And they put sensors on all these different people and got them to sing. Mm. And, and more than any other thing that they got them to do, that lifted their spirit, wow. or their hearts, you know. Uh, and then synchronized everybody together. And that's, that's something you, you know is happening on some level when you're with a large group singing. The thing about singing is that it happens naturally, just like dancing happens naturally, you know, where you just start dancing with people and you feel a certain rhythm at different points. It, it kind of locks in step. The whole room's in dancing to the same, I mean, literally the same beat, of course, unless you're a complete freak and you listen to something else. You know, it's like you, you lock into it and it feels really, really good. And it's great when you can have those moments without having to explain anything to anybody. Because like the over-intellectualization of like feelings is the death of that feeling. And so it's nice when everyone feels it, but you don't have to say it, but you kind of like looking at people going, what the hell just happened? Oh mm. yeah, we were totally in sync. That mm. was awesome, you know? Absolutely. And then, and then that energy carries through with you. It can last like a workout can last. It works itself through your body or a massage or that kind mm. of thing. It mm. stays with you. I think you can remap your brain to feel more positive when you have more experiences like that. And yeah. we've seen that happen to a lot of people who come out to our choir. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So tell me, you know, one of the things that strikes me about choir, choir, choir is the commitment that you guys both show to it. It could have just been, you know, a one-off. You guys could have done oh, yeah. it at this surprise birthday party, but you did it one more time. It mm -hmm. could have just been in this real estate office, yeah. but you kept doing it. And that devotion from you has given some, a big group of people, something consistently to come to every single week in Toronto. And like you said, give their brains this space to practice this feeling, to be around other people in a positive way. When did you realize, okay, we need to commit to this? And how did you realize that? How did that come into being for you guys? There was zero strategy here, like zero, not even like less than zero. And I, I think that that is, that is probably the reason why it succeeded on some level. A lot of people contact us and say, what's your business plan? Tell me how you do this, do that. I'm like, not interested. Do it yourself have fun, create it yourself, and then it'll be honest to yourself, right? And sometimes people get angry about that. But I think that we responded just the reaction. People were so excited after the first night, we ended up doing it every Tuesday for the next year. How did you clear your calendar? You're, like you said, you're on food shows, you are an entertainer, you're doing a million things. That's a big thing to just say, I'm going to be here every Tuesday night. Well, it's, at the time, we didn't realize that that was going to happen. And someone looking back on it, it became that. But there was a momentum from the very first night. There was enthusiasm. And when you get that kind of positive feedback, it feels so good. And we weren't thinking about the future. We weren't thinking about um, that it would become our lives. And it was just like a new thing that felt good. And winters in Canada are sometimes you literally don't see your friends for four to five months because people are just off in their own corners. So it was an opportunity to see really good friends, you know, like, um, even though there's no auditions and anyone could show up. And so more people started showing up and we started moving venues and whatnot. I think that 
for David, a light was going off that this was a way he could share music. It could be his way back into music. For me, I just love parties and I just love hosting and I love, despite feeling a little bit nervous to step out, you know, in front of my friends to be a conductor when I'd never been in a choir before. I'd never done anything like this before in any real way. I was completely delusional about what was possible. I had no idea what to do. Like if you watch the early videos, my hands are like, I'm like a boneless chicken. Like I have no idea what to do with my hands. You know, it's like ridiculous. Um, I will but, watch the early videos yeah, now that I've been yeah, promised exactly. that. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that there was no real thought. You talk about the commitment. Like, yeah, now I look back on it. Yeah, there was like severe commitment, but there was no reason except just because it was an event. It became this little thing that we had and it was super fun. And I, I was working at the time, I think I was working producing on a TV show and I worked 12 hour days and then just zip up to the venues that we were working at and just do it, you know? And Did we, you find it re-energizing for you? I had a friend who does something similar, not in with music here, every, for the last five years, every Sunday, her Sunday is this thing. And I asked her, you know, how does she keep doing it? And she's like, it always gives me energy. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter how tired we are uh, when we get on stage. If you like to perform... And we have such an incredible venue to perform with people who are so supportive and amazing and appreciate us so much. And we appreciate them back just as fiercely. It's a positive loop that just keeps on giving. And it's total euphoria. Like being on stage for David and I is like, we couldn't be happier when it's going well. And, it, it, and, and it's, it's usually going well. And, and if it's not going well, well, then that's a bit of a challenge. But in general, it gives us so much energy. Yeah. You know, uh, tell me about a time when it is not going well. Can you tell us about one of them? When you're going through personal things and you have to be on stage, that sucks. When you want to kind of hide out from the world and you're forced on stage, like that's, that's just the worst. Everything else is like, you know, early days we had to deal with hecklers. You know, if we were like doing touring, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I thought that only I'm, happened in the U.S. Come I'm, on, I'm, Canada. When I'm talking about hecklers, it's just like people who are so excited that they just had too much to drink and they're just like, I see. You know, and they're really happy to be there. They're just showing it in a weird way. But we've learned how to deal with them. Like this summer, we had a show just outside of Toronto. It's a resort in Ontario, and there was this guy kind of a bit of a hoser, kind of like classic middle-aged guy, like, you know, would never go to a choir event, must have been dragged by his partner. Who the hell knows why he was there? But he was tanked. Like, he was just tanked, just completely beard up. And he was just yelling. And I was like, all right, you need a venue. All right, you need, you need to be heard. I was like, get up on stage. We got him on stage. And, and I'm like, what? Like, do you need a hug, man? Like, what's, what's up with you? Do you need a hug? So, like, I just pulled him close to me and I hugged him. No way. And, and then David started playing guitar. I started dancing with him. And then I put my hand on his bald head. And then like, <laughs> I just started dancing with him, right? And then he like collapsed in my arms. Like, oh my God. The weight of him in my arms. The crowd's laughing because like two men are dancing on stage with this Asian guy with this older white dude. And it, it becomes this touching moment. And then he like whispers in my, my ear. He's like, sing to me. No way. <laughs> we just like turned a potentially caustic situation that was going to gum up our night and ruin it really for other people and made it part of the show. Mm. And so like experiences like that just show you that there's always many different ways to deal with a situation. Sure. We could have just been like, you shut up, you get the hell out of, you know, it's like whatever, but it would have put a damper on the evening. Right. So it's kind of fun to deal with situations. Other times it can be hard, but I don't think it, is anywhere close to ruining a night. It's just when a sections can't get apart, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. Part, but that's part of it, you know, and like you work on it. And David has become so adept at creating harmonies that are easy to get and fun. Whereas in the early days, we were struggling through arrangements. To, yeah, to no, walk able- us through what you guys need to do to set one of these up. And then when you arrive and all of that, how do you get people on the same page? There's no real equation for it. Like it's a lot of distraction, I would say. You have a goal, right? But then it's like dealing with children. You tell them what's going to happen, but then you distract them constantly on the way to get there. So they're not thinking too much about one thing or you're just constantly, you know, they can't get too fixated on something, you know, in a negative way. Improv and spontaneity is just at the core of what we do because we know where we're headed, but coming to choir, choir, choir is like, don't worry about anything. Like you got your lyric sheet. We're going to teach you your parts. Like, just don't worry about it. Well, yeah. you know, like just have a good time. And if as so long as you, you listen, you'd be fine. Do you give, is David mostly in charge of kind of, how do you guys decide on songs? You make a lyric sheet, you give it out. And then there's kind of a practice with different parts of right. choir. Okay, so and then you guys sing, right? Yeah. So we, like a few days before an event, we announce the song. We keep it loose so that we can react to what's happening around us. After the Kavanaugh hearings, we could just feel that it was really sensitive. And a lot of people were feeling really emotional about it, even in Canada. And so we sang, we, we decided we were going to sing Roar by Katy Perry. you know, a potentially throwaway pop song, but it's a power anthem, you know? And we donated the door that night to an organization here called the Barbara Schliffer Commemorative Clinic, which serves to help women who are fleeing abusive situations with support from a law perspective and also housing. We want to be able to react to what's happening in front of us as immediately as possible. Uh, So that sets us apart from other choirs. But essentially you show up to a venue, you get a lyric sheet, there's no sheet music. We don't pedal in official music speak at all. It's lows, mids, and highs. You're in one of those sections. You can start in one, end in another. You know, I, I joke, like, if you're not signing a mortgage, you're just singing a friggin' song. And then you get the lyric sheet, and then we split you up into parts, and then we teach the parts and put them together. And that's the, the literal arc of the night. But so much other stuff happens, which is you could be at the back of the room, never come before, by yourself. Next thing you know, you're on stage singing a song because we're interviewing you and doing something, you know, because you've yeah. caught our eye or something like that. It's, it's, it's about being completely open. We never script what we're going to say, unless it's a very special event and we've got, you know, certain things we definitely want to hit, but it's like a free forum that we guide people through. Yeah. Um, and we encourage people to be vocal. We encourage people to yell at us. We shame people because it makes them better. We highlight the mistakes. We celebrate the mistakes. We make fun of people. They make fun of us. It's a normal hang. I heard this great quote recently, which is, your best friends are those who make fun of you to your face and speak lovingly to you when you're not in earshot. Hmm. You know, that really affected me because I was like, yes, there needs to be more honesty Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, in general. When did you start filming these things? Because that's how I heard about it as a stranger in another city is seeing this Rufus Wainwright sing-along just absolutely blew my mind. When did that come into the equation? Pretty early on. So the first four months, we bounced around venues. That real estate office a couple of times, my living room, art galleries, performance spaces, like art spaces, and then eventually a bar. I think when we ended up at this first bar, No One Writes the Colonel, I think that was like four months in. 
I think that's when we started doing the videos and they used to be just one camera shot from behind. Uh, they weren't edited at all, really, just tops and tails. We did a fundraiser, the tsunami in Japan happened, and we did a fundraiser. There were some videos that came out of that. But in terms of our weeklies, probably about four months in. Yeah. There. I think around and how there. many people we have charge, seen? We didn't charge for the first four months either. There was no fee at all. And then we To charged. come and sing. Yeah. And I, I sort of, to answer your question, it's like we realized at the four-month mark as we had grown from like 20-ish people to about 65 people were coming out every Tuesday. Then it became like, holy shit, this is turning into a bit of a job. This is really, really intense. And community is building and people are starting to write us letters about how important this thing is to them. We're getting tired. We're going to start charging $5. And it was an agonizing decision to make. And in Toronto, we still only charge $5, you know, but at the time it was a huge thing because it went from being this thing that everyone felt like they owned on some level because everyone was contributing to it. So the fact that we started charging $5 created a little bit of an issue initially. Yeah. You know? I, I want to ask you about how much, it seems like the early days were very much, although there were strangers, it was you and David's friends and kind of oh, extended yeah. orbit. And yeah. It transitioned, you start charging, more and more people start finding out about it. Today, if I were to go to a choir, choir, choir event, how many of the people are there every week, would you say? And what percentage are brand new? How does that work for you? There's so many different, we've gone, we're like at choir, choir, choir 5.0 at this point. At this stage, people travel to Toronto to do it. A woman from Australia was, I was doing an interview with her yesterday and she literally came to Canada to experience it. Wow. Yeah, it's, she's also, I think she's, she was born in Canada, but like she's been living in Australia for a long time. But I thought about doing that. I might do that. We'll see. A, lo- a lot of people do, you know, this one guy came from, this guy named Eddie came from like Cork or somewhere in Ireland recently came in specifically for it. It was kind of bananas. At this point in Toronto, it's something that everyone can take for granted on some level. So from that initial first wave of really close friends, I would say very few of those people continue to come on a regular, regular basis. We're still mm-hmm. in touch with them. Of the second wave, I would say, you know, a solid 60 people of them could have come out every week, you know, in and out sort of thing. But then the third, fourth, fifth waves are coming out in droves. And then there's so many new people who come out based on the song that we choose. So it's hard to say, but the great thing is that because there are no auditions and people just feel like it's an open door that they can come back in whenever they want. Yeah. But, but for some people, it's like, you know, from that early days, you know, it's like that authenticity, that thing, that, that excitement, those new excitement of something starting up, which you guys all know about. It's just like, it's not the same anymore. Like, it just will never be the same. And growth is a problem for that. It's like having a child, like they can't be three or four cute forever. You know, it's just like things just grow. And, and so we've tried to maintain that intimacy. We've tried not to change necessarily in a negative way. Like we're still the same people. We look back on early days of Choir, 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 we get very nostalgic for the way it felt back then. We used to know everybody in the room on some level. Now it's just too many people, which is you know, a great problem to have. But also you have to kind of like, it forces you to not get too comfortable in every situation. You have to just adapt. You have to continue to adapt and welcome new people into the fold and appreciate that they're there. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like Instagram to me. It's an interesting thing to say about a a child. And you're like, yeah, they're not going to be two years old forever. (laughs) They're going to be 13 at some point and try to appreciate that too. Can I ask more about the the decision for payment? Um, Yeah, sure. Because, you know, I worked with with an education nonprofit. Their events will always be free no matter what. 
And then I was working with the professional women's network and they made sort of this painstaking decision to start charging for their events and are glad that they did. And I'm curious for you, you mentioned that it was sort of a painful decision. It might have ruffled some feathers. Um, what went into that and sort of maybe what did you gain or lose? David and I acknowledge that if we didn't start charging, it wouldn't have continued, right? So we had to make a decision for ourselves, just for ourselves, that do we want to continue this thing? What's it going to take? And I think that we realized that we were putting in like an extraordinary amount of time and effort into it. So we made that decision. Then after that, it was like, well, then how much? And we were even literally talking about $3.50 or like whatever. <laughs> and then David's wife was like, guys, like once you make this change, like you can't increase it or decrease it or whatever. It's like, just make it five bucks. Five bucks is just five bucks. And up until that point in my life and actually through to today, I will only make a bet with somebody if it's for $5. At $5 <laughs> is a good number. You know, it's like, if you're going to offer me $10 to eat something disgusting, no, thank you. It's got to be five bucks, right? <laughs> um, and so, so $5 felt like fine, but we were still nervous to present it to everybody because making it about money on some level changes the feeling of it. We looked into the idea of memberships and like annual memberships, that kind of stuff. We acknowledged that we were too disorganized to deal with that, you know, to put systems in place. that, would deal with that. I think that some of the reaction and some of the conversations that came out of it just immediately following um, the announcement, we prepped people like we're going to start charging soon. Like, you know, just really kind of trying to put that in people's consciousness. The reaction was as to be expected. Some people were upset by it. Some people felt like we had taken something innocent and kind of flipped it on them. I had a lot of conversations with people about it. But I think that in the end, people trusted us. I think that they recognized $5 wasn't very much money. Uh, we actually didn't lose many people. But looking back on it now, it was a completely necessary step to take uh, for the continuation of the project. Sometimes when we tour, it's considerably more money because it's way more expensive to leave the city. And there have been times when the ticket price has been, you know, you get ticket fees, not like, you know, it's like Ticketmaster style kind of like service fees, that kind of stuff. It definitely rubs me the wrong way. But at the same time, we're a full on business now and we're providing like great entertainment and all this kind of stuff. So I feel like I can stand behind it. I think it's a classic issue with artists, you know, in terms of like feeling self-conscious about money exchanges, that kind of thing. I've been freelance my entire life. I've had to negotiate my own salaries, you know, for every single job I've ever had. I've had to deal with questions of the idea of selling out, you know, versus like staying true to the art, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like I can stand behind all of the decisions that we've made in that regard. And I feel like for the people in Toronto, they're getting a crazy deal, you know, for $5, you know, for the kind of energy and love that we put into our thing. It's a complicated conversation, but I think that it's a good one to have. And I think that it's important for people to value themselves and set a price. The fact that it's still $5 is kind of a, you know, I'm proud of that actually, that, that we've never raised it when we legitimately could, you know? Yeah. I love the definition of like, at some point you guys won't be able to keep putting your time towards this if you're not being compensated. And that's about as simple as it, you know, that really yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. You've sang songs on stage with Rufus Wainwright, with David Byrne, with Patti Smith, with some big people, I, as far as I've read and seen myself. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be in the room as Rufus Wainwright is harmonizing with thousands of people for this thing you started at a real estate office in Toronto. Maybe there's a God above and all I 
tell me about a moment when you felt like, holy shit, I need to pinch myself. I can't believe this. This is a crazy journey. Have you had any moments of thinking kind of back on it that way? The entire time with Quire, Quire, Quire has been a pinch me kind of thing. An endless amount. Like I got bruises all over my body. It is so extremely unusual what we do and the experiences that we get to have. It's not any one moment. It's, it's like almost all of them. The fact that we can get a room full of people and not just in Toronto, but we tour all over the place, even without a special guest, we can get people singing one song for over an hour. Like we can get people to focus on this task at hand that we've created as an important moment, but then people through humor, through the sort of show that we put on, we can have people's attention. I'm constantly amazed that people will give us that attention and they'll give so much of themselves to create something with people they don't even know. That's extraordinary to me every single time. Being able to meet someone like David Byrne, somebody who I admire, who didn't disappoint as a person in real life, who like by meeting him, I feel like I've deepened my idea of what he represents and what he as an artist and like as a life to live, you know, like as an example, like his books that he's written and the depth of his thinking, the amount of time that he gave us, how he showed up to sound check and just eating a sandwich and saying, hi, my name's David. And like um, doing a sound check in the, the lobby of the public theater while other people are walking around. And I'm like, really, you're, you're okay to do this. And then he wrote a postscript of the time that he had with us. And it is literally so accurate in terms of like he observed with such intent what we did. He was in the room when we were teaching the parts. He was singing different parts, even though he was going to sing the lead. He was out there because he was interested in what we were doing on an artistic level. And then he wrote this two page piece that he posted on his website that perfectly describes what choir, choir, choir is in the moment, but also what it represents. That to me is, is like, I still can't believe it. You know? Yeah. You're like one of your idols spent hours, days, you know, not just, he didn't just come. He spent hours thinking about writing basically an essay about something that you started off the cuff. Exactly. And like, that means more to me than like, it's just, it is so gratifying to have had that happen, let alone standing next to him while he goes into his deep burn voice when he like hits those notes, you know, yeah. like, and then I edited the video and just like, Oh, like every time it <laughs> happened, like freaking out. What's so beautiful about that is that it's not like out of some sort of celebrity worship. It's because like the words that he wrote touched me because he had been thinking about it. The sound he paid of attention. Voice, he paid attention and the sound of his voice was so rich. And like, that's why I love what he does and what he's done. And, you know, reading his books, before and after like thinking like uh, this is a narrative this is like an ongoing narrative that i get to be part of it david and i get to be part of this sort of thing and it's like a thrill you know Uh, a big moment for us was when, you know, doing things in small venues and smaller venues. And then we started doing larger ones and doing tributes to artists who had passed away, starting with David Bowie and um, Leonard Cohen, right? Leonard Cohen. And we did one for Prince and we did it at Massey Hall, which is a, a signature venue in Toronto. It's probably the most important venue that's ever existed in this country, like your Carnegie Hall. And we ran the night. And so 2,000 people came out there to sing When Doves Cry. Yes. 
And we ran the night the way we would run it at a tiny little dive bar. And we were able to maintain the intimacy with that many people. And the show was over two hours long Mm -hmm. and it was a complicated harmony. And I'm in the venue that basically was the venue of my dreams as a kid growing up in the city. I'm like, if this isn't success, I don't know what is. Like, I'm getting to do what I want with people I love, honoring a musician who I admired and getting to feel all of these things. Like, it's not normal. It's a beautiful thing. And given like after Bataclan happened in Paris and then, you know, all the horrible things that have been happening, this idea of large groups of people together, coming together to create something really positive took on even more meaning. You know, I remember being at a basketball game after Bataclan and being like worried, like, what would happen in the situation if something horrible was to happen? I start to now feel like we're going to America. We were just in Texas. Yeah, I know. And I'm, like, I'm I know. walking to a restaurant. I'm just like, well, this looks like a calm scene. Beautiful people are walking around having enjoying themselves. What happens if, you know? And we were in Thousand Oaks this summer and then the news came out just the other yeah. day of, of that. I know that everything's political um, and always has been and always will be, but it feels like a political act now just to get people together, large groups of people together to express joy and spread love. And it seems cliche on some level, but I feel it all the time. And as things get more intense, I feel like every moment like that is an opportunity to show people across all political stripes or sides or whatever, whatever, you know, thinking people have that this idea of human interaction is critical that opportunities like a choir, choir, choir session or anything that brings people together is an opportunity to meet people you wouldn't normally meet. And it doesn't have to be some kind of like echo chamber. The great thing about singing with other people is that you have to be able to hear the person to your left and to your right. Otherwise you're singing too loudly. It's like the building blocks for having a normal conversation with somebody. Maybe it's naive, but I really believe that if people just talk to each other, even if you think somebody's racist or sexist or has just the worst opinions about everything. If you just talk to people, then you're somewhere, you know? And I know it is naive on some level, but my naivete has gotten me this far. And, and I'm going to hold on to that because the other options are less inspiring to me. So we've had a lot of like amazing brushes and opportunities with people who are quote unquote important, but every single time we go out there, we're looking to make that connection with people and make people feel like they came to the right place and that they can carry that forward. And we're not going to, we're not going to impress everybody, but a critical number of people have shown us or told us that what we're doing is important to them. And that keeps us going. I feel like that needs to be the introduction to our book that we've been struggling with (laughs) that, that way you just spoke. And Nobu, thank you for giving us your time. It's been so rad to interview you. Let's do this every week. Seriously, I just like, tell me more stories about David Byrne. I'll be here. (laughs) Damn, that was a good interview. Thank you, Nobo. I've been watching all the YouTube videos, (laughs) getting teary-eyed over here. Um, Binge choir, choir, choir videos. Yeah. After we finished that interview, we all just started chatting each other about when can we find a time to like fly (laughs) to Toronto to do this thing. So if you guys loved how that sounds, or if you're a Torontonian, and you want to get involved, you can learn more about Choir, Choir, Choir at choirchoirchoir.com. No spaces, no exclamation marks in that URL, just choirchoirchoir3times.com. 
And really, if you haven't seen the recordings of what Nobu and David are up to, you have to check them out. They, they will move you in the best way possible. You can check it out at YouTube. If you just search choir, 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 they'll come up, or you can put their URL in youtube.com backslash user backslash choir x3. Anyway, check it out. You won't regret it. I actually think it's a forward slash. Those are forward, the backslash. I'm Let's the, do this I'm one more time. Nerd. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> uh, so if you want to find more. <laughs> All right, we do one cut only. <laughs> if you find, want to find more about us, uh, Bailey, Kevin, Kai, People and Company, um, our website is people-and.com. Um, I don't know the difference between a dash and a hyphen. Please, listeners, tell us. Uh, or say hi. Uh, send us an email. Hi at people-and.com. Cool. Thanks, y'all. See you next time. Wow.